I just aspire to be a person. <laughs> Not a potato. Not I, be... I, can, I don't know. I'd be an okay potato. You think so? I'm pretty round and soft inside. That's not a good, good potato. No? No. I like mine a little mushy. Oh, I'm thinking like uncooked like potato. Cooked. No, oh, okay. I wouldn't be an uncooked. See? And then there's that. Like, you'd rather be a cooked potato? So then yes. is this going to be like au gratin or? No. Like, are we going to get into the potato? potato? I'm going to be a full baked potato. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about this, but I'm going to be a full-baked potato. Okay. Yes. But with the fixins. Okay. Which is southern for cheese and sour cream and yeah. chives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But not mashed yet. No. See, that's what I mean, though, is that I'm you could be a million yet. kinds of potato, some, too. Some days I'm mashed. Some days uh, I have a bad day and I'm mashed. <laughs> <laughs> some days I'm a full-baked potato. We could have, like, um, a 20-minute conversation on this, because I'm thinking I would, prefer, would probably rather be a sweet potato, but a lot of people don't like sweet potatoes. Oh. But do I care? No. You'd be a great sweet potato. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be a very sweet potato. Because you, you care about the palate of the other person. And so, of the other person? Yeah. So the person eating you. <laughs> Wait, I didn't say I want to be, like, an edible potato. Let's see. <laughs> it's an unedible potato. There's no such thing. You're going to be some sort of wild potato you yes. can't eat. <laughs> yes, wild and untamed potato. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Kimmy Fox. And I'm Stephanie Pleasant. For I Don't Know Where to Start, the podcast. Um, so what do you want to talk about first? <laughs> I know, I was thinking about this has got to be an awkward way to start this, right? Yes. An, an awkward, there's not an awkward way to, an awkward way to start this. Um, so because we're starting a podcast, anyway, um, because we're starting a podcast where we, ex- where we kind of want to talk about the different spectrums of sexual assault um, and how they come in different forms and how they affect people we thought we would kind of begin by just talking about my story um so we're gonna just kind of i guess there's really no uh, an awkward way to talk about this issue okay that's how i feel right now (laughs) trying to start this i don't really know where to start I've been thinking about it all week, about how you tell this story from over a decade ago, and I don't I don't know how you start this conversation without being awkward at all. So, I guess we could start with just what happened. Um, I was 14, and I went with my cousin to go out. I had just broken up with my first long-term boyfriend. We had dated for a total of eight months. Was very raunchy, you know how fourteen-year-olds get. And then I broke up with him. It was the summer between. It was before I started dating my now husband. Um, and so I was pretty young when I started dating him too. But we went out for just to hang out and drink. This is you and your cousin. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean. To no, you're fine. Um, yeah, my cousin and I went out and we went to go drink and hang out and she ran into some guys she knew, I guess, from high school. She wasn't really in high school or maybe she dropped out afterwards. I can't remember, but she knew him from school, from another high school that I didn't go to. 
before we left, um, we she got a six-pack of, like, Smirnoff or Zima, some bullshit drink. Mm-hmm. I'll have to say bullshit. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, some BS drink of, <laughs> like, a Zima or Smirnoff. And she had one and then was driving around. She was 16 at this point, 16 or 17. I'm pretty sure 16. And, um... She had had her drink, and then I had the rest of them because she didn't want to leave them in her car because then her mom would find them, but she also didn't want to drive drunk. So then I just chugged five Smirnoffs um, in a row before we left. Then we were just kind of cruising down a street. You know those streets when you're, like, 16 years old that just everybody cruises down? You're just like, like, what are you going to do on Saturday night? We're just going to drive up and down this road for 40 minutes. So we did that. We just kept driving around. I was just drunk, yelling out the window. (laughs) And some guys she had recognized from um, high school or school of some sort, some school I didn't go to, um, had pulled up. And he yelled at her, whatever. So we pulled over. We started talking to them. They started talking about how they were going to go to... We were going to go to another... They were going to go to a party at... um, this apartment i assume we'll just call him kyle i assume it was kyle's apartment um i don't really it was kind of a haze like i said 14 and five smirnoffs drunk deep um so we went to this apartment i had no idea where i was we had gone somewhere in the boonies of mississippi um i guess i should probably explain i was in mississippi i lived in mississippi at the time um, we're in this apartment. We're hanging out. At some point, my cousin stopped me and told me to let me know that she had told them I was 18 and that I should tell them I was 18. So I was like, okay, I guess if it comes up, I'll bring it up. Um, but she didn't want them to know that we were both underage. So I don't really know how she knew these guys, but she knew them. There was three of them. Uh, the Kyle guy and the guy I remember and then two other guys one my cousin was hanging out with and kind of flirting around with and then just this other guy who was just kind of drinking in the corner by himself he was always kind of like a weird guy so we they had made us a couple drinks um we drank I don't I don't even know honestly I can't recall how much I drank um and then I I remember getting lightheaded So I went out on the deck. There was a deck in the apartment, and I just kind of laid down and, like, stared at the sky because I was pretty pretty gone at this point. And I stared up at the sky and was just kind of laying there. And then Kyle came, and he laid next to me. And he was just, I don't know, talking, flirting. Um, I don't even know what he was saying. He kept, like, rubbing my stomach and talking. And I was just like, okay. Um... I really honestly can't recall what we talked about. I just remember staring up at this guy, and he was, like, saying weird stuff to me. So then he asked me if I wanted to go to sleep, and I was like, yep. So I got up and went into his room to lay down because at that point my cousin was already in a different room with the other guy she was hanging out with. Um, So she was gone, and so I was just kind of hanging out there by myself. And so then I went into Kyle's room. And I remember the oddest things I recall. I recall, like, there were clothes everywhere, and that bothered me. And then there was, like, a PlayStation controller just, like, laying out and, like, games laying out in his TV on. And I'm just like, why don't you just pick your games up? It's like, <laughs> mess them up. Um, and then just recalling, like, that the PlayStation on screen just kept, like, 
coming on. It was just, like, the same on-screen over and over again. Um, and then everything is... The rest of it's just kind of blurry. Um, it was... Um, we were sitting there, and then I remember him saying, like, oh, do you want to give me head? And I was like, um... Not really. I'm kind of tired. I don't. It was kind of blurry. I remember being like, not really, and then whatever, and then him just kind of pushing me. So I did it, and then um, I don't know. It. Um, sorry, I'm gonna have to remember. It seems weird because I, I told no. you I tried to recall things, but um, so I started doing it. Whatever. I got really tired. I just kind of remember, like, staring at the PlayStation screen. It kept rotating on and on. Um, It kept going. And, like, just remembering, like, I don't know. This, uh, I don't even know how to describe it in words. I think that's the hardest part is to try to word it. So... I was laying there. He, we, I'd started doing the other stuff. I told him I was tired. Um, and then he just kind of was like, no, keep going, keep going. And then, so I kind of did for a little bit. And then I was like, okay, I really am, like, I need to sleep. And then um, he just kind of kept pushing me and pushing me. And then he fought. I kind of just remember staring at the screen. But I remember I'm kind of holding my throat down. Um, and then this, I assume I just kind of blacked out, but I know he held my throat down because of the day, the next day when there was, there was a lot of bruising and stuff. Um, and so then we just kind of, I don't know, did it, I guess. Um, and I just kept watching the PlayStation screen. Um, and then I finally fell asleep. I woke up about an hour later snuck out of his room and tried to figure out where I was. The only thing I remember was I was, I saw it, like the, the name of the apartment complex and I was like, well, maybe I should call the cops. But then I was like, well, my cousin will probably get in trouble. Um, so then we left. Um, I woke my cousin up and was like, we have to go. We have to go. Um, and I remember the next day it was like, <laughs> So we went back to her place and crashed and slept because I hadn't really slept. I guess I'd slept like off and on. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a blur. Um, and then I fell asleep, woke up like in the middle of the day the next day. And I got up and I went to the bathroom um, and I had to pee. And when I peed, it was just blood. It was like all blood. Um, so that was awful. <laughs> it was pretty traumatic. I was like, maybe I'm OTR, but I don't think it, it was. Um, so I cleaned that up. There was, um, a, some bruising on my legs. I remember just from like, I don't, I don't know what from, but like scratching and bruising. And then the, then I got ready to wash my hands after I used the bathroom. And it was just like, my neck had looked like someone had just attacked it it was bluish purple and red um all the way from like my collarbone to the tip of my ear um just all down all around my neck it freaked me out because I was like uh how am I gonna cover this up um so I had to steal a hoodie from my cousin and I got up and um like I did that put that on whatever my aunt still caught me my aunt was like 
oh, I see you had a good night. You have hickeys all over your neck. And I was like, yeah, haha, those, those are great hickeys. Because um, I guess they just look like hickeys, which is fine, I guess. At least I could make something up with that. Um, but yeah, so then I stayed there until my mom came to pick me up. And then I left. Um, I don't know how good of a story that is. No, it's great. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you it's a bad story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel bad because, like, I've tried to, you know, think about it before we, when we decided to do this podcast, and I was like, okay, like, what can I recall? Um, And I think that, I mean, part of the hard part was I was drunk, was pretty drunk. Uh, Part of it was I was 14, so it's now been 13 years since this occurred. Um, And I don't think I've ever purposely tried to remember it you know you spend a lot of time trying to purposely forget it but purposely trying to remember everything I don't think I've done in a long time yeah so yeah did you at the time um think that you'd been raped no I thought I made a stupid mistake and got drunk um and let this guy, you know, well, like, I mean, I, I guess I was pretty terrified about what, I guess, I didn't have a lot of sexual experience, so I was pretty terrified that sex could result in this um, mess that I woke up with the next day. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty horror movie style. Um and so, I don't know, I thought it was stupid of me to agree that I was 18 and it was stupid of me to get drunk and it was stupid of me to go with my cousin because my cousin always hangs out with people like that that have one intention in mind. Um, I didn't start thinking that it was a sexual assault or a rape um, until probably junior year of high school. So this is a couple years later. Um, some people came to our classroom and it was like my study hall. So for study hall, they would do these like weird presentations, like talk about golf club or we didn't have golf club. We were poor, but you know, something like that or whatever, talk about whatever group was going on. And so one group that came was like a sexual assault prevention kind of group. And they started talking about, you know, what rape looks like. Um, and that you could get drunk and be raped. Um, and so, like, that it was still, you know, not voluntary, technically. Um, and so then they just kind of went into these things, and they started talking about, like, what are the symptoms if you have been assaulted? Um, one of them was just, like, if you're if you're still uncomfortable about it, if you try to block it out, if you still have um, stress over it, if you don't tell people about it, you know, things like that. It was just, like, a lot of weird symptoms, and I was, like, holy shit, I have all those, you know, like this, and it just didn't really hit me that that's what it was, because at the time, you know, I was pretty careful about, like, what me and my boyfriend, now husband, were doing, and I was very careful about drinking, very careful about, you know, everything, because I was, I just didn't want things to happen again, um, but I think it took them coming to talk to us for me to be re- to realize that it wasn't, you know, my fault that I didn't do that, you know? 
Yeah, but but none of the... So it was a couple years later before. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just Mm. wanted to clarify that, I mean, the fact that you were drinking or you said you were 18 doesn't really matter at all. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like you said, it wasn't your fault at all. Yeah. No, I think it took a long time. I think I just assumed... um, I was just, I was kind of mad at my cousin for, you know, getting me drunk or whatever for a while. And, but even then, I mean, yeah, it was all like the whole thing was, you know, self-blame until these people came and talked and were like, no, you don't have to feel self-blame for it. Um, and so then I think that's when I started kind of being a little bit more open about what happened. I, I really didn't tell a soul. Um for years till probably my till this junior year of high school so that would probably would have been I don't know I would have been 17 I guess so I didn't tell a soul for years never said anything about it and then after they kind of came and talked to me I realized kind of what happened um and then I talked to my um then boyfriend now husband about it um and I had told like my friend about it and I still haven't told a whole lot of people but just by college I was a little more open to talk about it than I was when it first happened yeah um how many people know um probably four or five Mm -hmm. including counselors maybe eight (laughs) (laughs) so then you've you have talked to counselors about it or talked to someone yeah professionally yeah um so when I first sought counseling uh I first sought counseling when I was 20 and one of the questions that comes up on the like preliminary thing is if you've ever been sexually assaulted um and so when you say yes to that then they start to ask you questions about it so that was the first time I told them um but since then I've told other counselors um is I have a PTSD diagnosis that probably comes from that, plus just violence as a child between, you know, other stuff that went on. Um, And so it gets brought up a lot when I just kind of go into panic mode. Yeah. And so, but... Yeah. Um, Does your mom or cousin... Oh, no. I'm not telling my mom. (laughs) I guess I should... Hopefully. Um... (laughs) I, uh, do you think no. Paula would listen to this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess depends. Um, <laughs> I don't know. No, not really. I don't tell my mom. These are things I I, I decided to leave to my mom's deathbed. Um, <laughs> just because I'm afraid, like I don't want her to think it's her fault um, that it happened. I don't want her to think, you know, she should have you know, protected me or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what she would think. I think that's in my head. I feel like if I was a mom, I would feel like I failed if, you know, I knew something like that happened to my child. Um, but would you want to know? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I, I mean, know, I'd it's hard. Them. Neither of us have kids, so this is very hard to right. imagine. Yeah, we, I'd love to hear what people with kids would, would say is... Because, I mean, I don't know. I think ignorance is bliss, but at the same time, I would want my kid to feel comfortable to come tell me that something like that happened. Yeah. But I spent most of my childhood protecting my mom, so that included, you know, protecting her from things that happened to me. Yeah. Um, I just don't want her to feel like it was at all her problem, you know? 
because I felt like it was my fault for so long. I don't want other people to feel like it's their fault. Yeah. I don't think I told my brothers. I might have told my older brother as, like, a passing side thing. Like, oh, yeah, I've been raped. Um, which is always Just a, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you have conversations about sexual assault, sometimes it just comes up that, like, you're also that person. <laughs> but, yeah. So, yeah. I know I one time I tried to write about it when I was in high school. Uh, it was something that came up as, like, a therapeutic thing. And I, I love writing. I've always loved writing. Um, and so I tried to write about it and submit it to a literary magazine, and it got rejected. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> it was too gory, is what they were telling me. I guess because was... I tried to describe in detail what I look like in the morning. Because that's the, that was like, that's the most vivid image in my head is the next day. It was very vivid. Um, that plus a couple years later when I realized where I was, I accidentally ended up in the apartment complex again and had a full on panic attack. Those are very vivid in my head. Um, because I was, I guess, because I was sober and, you know, whatever else. But, um, so I can describe those really well. You know, I can describe yeah. if if you want me to go into detail. I could go into gory detail. But I think that was just too much for a high school to read about. Yeah. Or a high school in Mississippi, most likely. Yeah. So. That was your only critique for this magazine? Was that it was too gory? Mm-hmm. It was... Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know that happened yeah yeah. so I try not to share too many details about it I don't want to ruin people's day I think yeah like um and I think we both talked about like my sexual assault is nothing like the other people I know who have been sexually assaulted and I shouldn't know as many people as I do but I mean when what one in four women are sexually assaulted you get to kind of know a couple yeah there's different it's one in four one in six and it all comes back down to um Reporting, so I mean, more than likely, it's higher than yeah than the numbers indicate, which is right. But fantastic for the public, but <laughs> yeah. So I think it's the hard part is that one is that it's really hard to tell the story because I know people don't want to hear the details. Um, you don't want to hear about me being a fourteen-year-old asked to go into um, an 18-year-old's bed. I think he was actually 19. Um, but And then him, you know, asking me to do things to him or if I wanted to. And then me deciding I didn't want to anymore. And then him forcing me to do it. And then me kind of blacking out and waking up and just seeing <laughs> colors I haven't seen before on my body. And so it's those details that people don't want to hear you don't want to talk about them and so it makes it harder to even talk about it because you spend so much time just trying to side note everything you know footnote it you know yes I'm anxious about a lot of things though so that works but yeah I think like I said I haven't told a whole lot of people I I don't know how my family will react 
to a story like this. I don't know how the public will react. I think there's an idea that you could be re-traumatized by bringing this stuff up. I also think there's an idea that I've suppressed it for so long that at some point I need to be able to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe listen to it to, as a third party, because I've never heard from it from a different side. Yeah. So I'm anxious about the way people will react. But I know now I'm a little bit older and oddly... This year has kind of taught me from the get-go. I can't control how people react. It's what happened. Yeah. It's what happened to me. I can't un- make it unhappen. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great, I guess. It would save me a lot of, you know, counseling money. But so if people react horribly. How do you think people will react to this podcast just as a whole if it's... I mean, whether we do one episode or 10 episodes or 100 episodes, um, you had said that um, you you were concerned that there might be backlash or people would disagree. I mean, why do you think that? I think there's two ways people may react. The first one is the positive way of what I think why we got into this is because we... um, started talking about just the differences between like what I've gone through and what you've gone through and what other people have gone through um, and just like how broad you know sexual harassment and sexual assault can be and how it's so hard to just put those into one box as one thing like this is sexual harassment this is sexual assault when in reality what happened to me is nothing like what happened to the other women that I know so I think the positive reaction would be that people respond and say like this is really good you should get this out there that explaining to people that there is a spectrum between what women go through, what we're carrying. Men and women. Men and women, sorry. Um, No, it's okay. (laughs) There is a spectrum between what men and women are carrying when it comes to sexual harassment, sexual assault, and that those stories are not uniform. My story is nothing like other people's stories. And... So sharing those stories really gets out the word, saying, like, this is what's going on, and this is why it's such a serious issue, and this is why, you know, after years of being quiet, all of these movements are coming up and saying, you know, holding holding people accountable for their actions and holding, you know, as assailants accountable, and that's what we need to be doing. And allowing victims to tell their story and be believed, yeah, I think, is what I would like the positive outcome to be, what I kind of think the positive outcome would be. I think the negative income outcome is that, what did I say, income? Mm. I think the negative outcome or negative reaction is that we're re-traumatizing people by having them share these stories. I know personally, I, you know, took my anxiety medicine before I came, played with the cat while I was telling the story. Like, it is, you know, not easy to tell, and I understand that. But I think it being 
I guess I, I won't respond to the negative unless it comes up, but I think the negative reaction will be that we're re-traumatizing people by having them tell them stories or that, you know, we're attacking assailants, which I guess that negative reaction, I really wouldn't care about. I was going to say, I hope that's not a negative reaction, because I feel I mean, like that's a positive it, reaction. Of- <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be people who try to protect yeah. victimizers. Um, so those people will come, and those people will be mad and say, you know, like I said, I think the people who say, well, you shouldn't have gotten drunk to my story will be the same people who are trying to protect the assailant. They will always exist. Uh, I just won't care as much about their reaction <laughs> as the other negative reaction. So, yeah, yeah. I know that with the Me Too movement, um, there was not backlash, but just the um, public awareness notice too. That for some people, um, for some people, Me Too isn't it appropriate is not appropriate for them just because they whether it's the re-traumatization or that they just don't want to tell their story do you think people will react to this podcast in that way that they think that you know people don't want to tell their story so don't make people tell their story or does that go back to re-traumatizing I don't think I mean, none of this will be involuntary. Oh, right? of course not. Yeah. We're not holding so, anybody against their right. will in my basement. So. Um, and I think it'll be up to the person. For me, um, I didn't do any of the Me Too stuff. I didn't post on Facebook, anything like that. Um, I didn't think it was my medium that I wanted to tell the story. I didn't think it was enough for me just to say Me Too. I think that's why this podcast came into fruition is that you and I were talking about like me just saying like, I also have experienced this seems very vague and like people like, oh yeah, okay. She's been sexually assaulted too. check her off the box. So I thought the Facebook movement was a little more like that. While some people did, you know, write their full stories under their me too. A lot of people just wrote, you know, me too. And for me, that wasn't enough for me. Um, If I was going to share my story, I wasn't going to share it in that medium on something where someone just kind of flips by and goes, oh, yeah, Stephanie's been assaulted. Oh, that's cool. Oh, look, there's a look at this orangutan playing with a a rattle, you know. So um, for me, that was enough. And for some people, that's enough for them. And I think the podcast will be the same way. Um, There's no way we'll ever make anyone tell their story if they don't want to. Uh, If we have other participants... Because, like you said, this may be one of one, and it might just be my way of getting my story out there and letting people know. And if other people want to come on and share their stories, then I think that's up to them. And it's 100% voluntary. Um, We have plans to keep it anonymous and let them edit the parts they want to edit because it is their story. And we need to keep it'll be 100% about that person so that we can prevent um as much as possible any re-victimization um because we're obviously aware of that but i think it'll be up to the person about whether that's the medium that they think they need to share on or whether joining the movement is the medium going to groups um whatever they think is their medium for healing then they'll do that yeah i completely agree yeah yeah 
Are your thoughts? Are you scared of reactions? No, not at all. <laughs> really? I listen to, yeah, I'm <laughs> so obsessed with different podcasts at this point that whether it's a good episode or a bad episode of a podcast, in some way there's some kind of humor or some serious moment or something that I can take away. And then those episodes that of different podcasts that I listen to that don't influence me in any way. I mean, I forget them or it's not memorable. And I'm not saying this needs to be memorable, but I'm just saying I'm, I don't hold any ill will toward a bad bad podcast. I just don't listen to it. So then, I mean, it's the same thing. If, if this is something that someone really isn't interested in listening to, then, I mean, they, they don't have to listen to it. And, And if this helps one person, if, you know, I mean, outside of the circle or even within, if me listening to your story tomorrow is, you know, I realize is very empowering as it's been empowering right now that you're willing to sit here and, and talk about it. Or if you hear your voice when we go into editing and you say, um, wow, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm open to sharing this with people and, and it helps you, then I think that's enough. I mean, I think that's the point. So I, if someone has concerns or, or disagrees, then I mean, I welcome the critique, but I, I don't think it's going to affect whether I would continue the podcast or not. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Constructive criticism <laughs> is preferred. <laughs> not just uh, hashtag you're a ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you tell me about since then? I'm, I don't want to call it after effects, but I don't know what you want to. I mean, since that time of not just um, the rape. Or do you, I mean, do you see it as rape? Do you see it as assault? Do you, um, Um, and then I I guess I want to talk about kind of since you realized that you were sexually assaulted, um, kind of what it's been like since then, what, what you've done. You said that you have talked to people, but other, other than that. Yeah. I guess personally, I see it as rape. But I also know, again, I'm very conscious of other people's feelings that that's not a word people want to hear. I totally see it as rape. So let me just clarify that. But I know that I didn't want (laughs) to. No, I know. We're being super kosher about all of this. So I just want to make sure that. I'm very, very PC in the fact that I I really care about people's feelings um, and the things I talk about. And that includes, like, talking about my own life story. Yeah. So, yes, I see it as rape. However, I do say sexual assault a lot. I think it just comes from, you know, that's not the word that you want to use. Well, rape is and rape is such a harsh word, which I mean, again, if you're willing to call it what it is, which is rape, then I'm happy to call it rape, too. But I also don't want to I mean, this is your story and I don't want to take that away from you. And so then if you identify as it being a sexual assault, then. Yeah, I think it's just, it's weird when someone else acknowledges it. I think you saying that it's a rape and like, oh, okay, so maybe it's not just me. Um, I mean, counselors and stuff have said that, but counselors get paid to say that, right? So (laughs) it's just weird uh, for another layman to be, you know, like, yes, this is a rape. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe it's not just me that thinks this. Um, No, I... I (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's just weird to acknowledge it. Um, 
I will say afterwards, it was a little different. I talked about just not recognizing it for a couple of years. I did, I want to say, I don't know. It was a couple of years later. I want to say before I left for college, so probably my senior year, um, that I somehow ended back up at the apartment complex. I figured out what Boonie City it was in. I still didn't know at that point I just remembered I remembered seeing the sign uh, it was named after a flower and so then I remembered it really well and so then when we ended up in this boonie city I went for a audition I was in theater at the time I went for an audition and all of a sudden we passed this apartment complex that was named after a flower um and I thought I was gonna die I was pretty sure I was gonna die uh, I couldn't breathe I couldn't think my mom was driving and I was trying to like cover up the fact that I was pretty sure I was going to die. The audition was across the street. So I totally bombed the audition. Yeah. (laughs) Because at that point I just, I couldn't breathe. You can't sing if you can't breathe. It's very difficult. And when you say that you felt like you were going to die, are you like you had a panic attack or? Yeah. What I now know is a panic attack. Okay. Okay. At the time I, I had no idea. Um, this was before I had gotten diagnosed with panic disorder. Um, so all I know is that I just, you know, everything, I could, I, everything shut down. My throat was closing. I was shaking, couldn't breathe. I felt like, you know, there was this a elephant just stomping me in the chest repeatedly. My brain was on what I describe now. Um, now that I'm a little bit further in my diagnosis, I describe it as my brain was on fire. Um, and if you've ever seen the the Spongebob episode where they're <laughs> trying to remember his name and all the little Spongebobs are running around in his brain freaking out, that's what happens when I have a panic attack. Um, all the little Spongebobs run around screaming and things are on fire and you can feel it. Like, you can really feel the Spongebobs running around in my head. We'll, we'll add a link to it. <laughs> yeah. After this, yeah, so then people can get a visual. <laughs> yeah, so that's what that's what had happened. That's what happened was I was in the car trying to get this elephant off my chest so I could sing, and I'm shaking, and I didn't even realize that the it was closer to my hometown than I thought it was or remembered it was, and for some reason at the time it had been this, like, distant far off place and all of a sudden it was like a real legit place across the street from a place I was trying out for an audition and and that just didn't settle well with me um it's easier to keep things in the far distance and pretend like you know they're on the other side of a wall or something than it is to be across the street from them yeah and with your mom who you're trying to pretend like you're totally fine around because she has no idea why you would be freaking out about an apartment complex. Um, did she think you were just nervous, or did she just not acknowledge it? I, I, I don't think she acknowledged it. Um, she probably thought I was nervous. I don't know. That would be a good question for her if she even noticed when it happened. Um, I, I freak out a lot about a lot of things, so, you know, having a panic attack wasn't abnormal, um, so she might have just thought, you know, it's just what happened. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That'd be, maybe if she ever listens to this, maybe I'll ask her if she, 
<laughs> she noticed. This isn't a bring it up at Thanksgiving kind of conversation. No. No. Mm-hmm. No. Probably not going to do that this holiday. No. <laughs> Um, beyond then, I mean, did you ever see then the apartment at another time or it's just, no, I stayed away from there. Yeah. Pretty much. I like now that I knew where it was, I just kind of, that just became a dead space to me. Yeah. So I just didn't go over there at that point. I was driving. I, I don't know why my mom was driving me that day, but, um, like I have been driving since I was 15. So, um, I just stayed away from that area of that town. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. And then I guess I just kind of talking about like the difference in my diagnosis is that now I'm a little more clear headed on what was going on at the time, but that's because I spent time with my recovery. Um, after I started college, a lot of things happened all at once. And so then recovery kind of became a requirement for me to get through college because at that point I had moved 750 miles away from my hometown and a lot of stuff went on at the same time. And so to get through day to day, I had to do some sort of recovery program and mentally I just had to deal with mainly these panic attacks, which I now know are panic attacks. Um, They started coming pretty frequently my sophomore year of college. And so I went to see a counselor and they're like, oh, yeah, these are called panic attacks. (laughs) And my brain's like, oh, okay, good. I thought I was just drowning in air. Um, (laughs) And so I'm glad they have a diagnosis. Um, And so since then, I mean, I kind of worked on it a little bit. Then I kind of slacked off. The hard part about getting mental health treatment is that it's you know, stigmatized and things like that. So I did it for a while and then I didn't do it. And then I went to law school and then I had to do it. Um, so there's just a point where you, you just have to start taking care of yourself. Um, and so I definitely had those, I mean, for years. So I, and I vividly remember the one after seeing the apartment complex. So at some point, you know, you still have these repercussions of just your brain just doesn't, you know, deal with it somehow. And so then you just have to deal with it yourself. Yeah, getting counseling and things like that. So I'm, a, I'm better about that. I stay, you know, on top of all that stuff, which I think is good. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was useful. But. No, it was. Do you see, I mean, is there a specific kind of counselor you see? Or? Um, I have. What do you mean? No, I'm just actively seeking yeah. out counseling services. Oh. Not, <laughs> not receiving yeah. any yet, so then I don't know if there's a difference for, um, I mean, somebody looking yeah. for. My, I've had a couple since then. My favorite one was actually specialized in law schools, law school students, uh, which was a kind of a weird thing, but. Apparently, there's some law schools that provide counselors to their students. Not my law school, but some law schools do that. Um, Hint, hint, we think how nice that would be. (laughs) Yeah. So he actually specialized in law students. He uh, originally worked at one in the South, and he was just the the law school counselor. He was just there for law students, which sounds pretty cool. Um, He was probably my favorite. He retired, unfortunately. Um, 
stupid retirement. <laughs> but he was really good at dealing with, you know, the panic disorder and things like that. Um, he was, like, a high stress. He was, you know, well-trained for high stress. Um, kind of type A people. Yeah. Um, he did really well at, like, helping me learn tools about, like, dealing with perfectionism and some other issues that I had. Um, so he's probably my favorite. There, the other ones that I've had, I've had with, uh, one professionals who specialize in... You're going to fall, buddy. Um, <laughs> um, who specialize in, like, women's issues um, or college education. Um, and so I think, I think now I have one who specializes in um, depression and burnout, and she's pretty... I like her so far. Good. Yeah. We're getting treatment now, and I don't know how that's a thing. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> like, we did our job and got people to open up and seek mm-hmm. treatment, but now too many people are getting treatment. Yeah. And that's yeah. a bad thing. Well, I also think it's interesting, too, when people say that they don't need, I mean... Because for a long time, um, I felt like whatever my personal issues, problems, concerns, whatever in my life were not worthy of going and seeing someone. And it's just because it's this, I always thought it was this serious thing that you go and talk to a counselor and you seek help and you need help. And and I'd gone in the past and didn't like who I saw. And so then it was, well, I can figure this out on my own. And that's not really what counseling does and so then this misunderstanding that well I it's going to be a long road and I can figure this out on my own and you know all I need to do is get a little bit more Netflix and get a weekend to myself and I'll be better and that's not really yeah yeah that's not really how it works now or that's not really how it works at all um and I think what's interesting too I guess from my standpoint is that the I can just figure this out on my own I spend a lot of time explaining to people that that's what counselors do. They teach you how to figure it out on your own. And so it's just like, it's like you going in and saying, like, I'm going to learn to read by myself. Well, that's not as simple as it is. Someone taught you to read. Someone taught you what the sounds were. So now you can read and you can educate yourself and things like that. Someone's going to teach you how to take care of yourself. And so that's essentially, you know, what counseling does. Like, I learn how to react to other people's reactions. Because before, it was just, this person thinks this about me, it must be my fault, I should hate myself for 10 minutes. Constantly thinking about how terrible I am. The counselor taught me, there's nothing I can do with that person's reaction. If they're, And so, I can figure it out on my own. I just need someone to teach me how to read first. Yeah. Right, so it's like, it's just like saying like, oh, go educate yourself before knowing how to read. Yeah. Right? So I think it's interesting that there's this, um, like, oh, I'll, you know, deal with my mental health stuff on my own. Well, yeah, with counseling. (laughs) It's just like going to school. You're learning a new technique. Counselors will teach you how to see things from different views, how to, you know, be able to sit here and recount your story without having a panic attack. Um, That's all stuff I learned from counseling. You know, things that I learned how to get through work, even though it's been an awful day or I had a nightmare about this again or I had whatever. How do I, you know, function day to day? It is so that I can get through it on my own. Yeah. I mean, it's direction. I do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, it's stuff. 
I consider it stuff your parents didn't know to teach you mm-hmm. is what a counselor teaches you, essentially. And then you do get it all through on your own, you know? But it's not really, like, getting help. It's more like getting direction. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way that sounds. Um, I don't know. How would you like to... I mean, this is your story, so how would you like to end our podcast? Um, I think I kind of... That's why I kind of wanted to... That's why I wanted to talk about the recovery thing. I think it's a good idea if we kind of... Um, <laughs> into talking about counseling recovery I liked the idea that we kind of talked about just destigmatizing some of that stuff mm-hmm. um, and then yeah talk about resources and stuff because then I think it kind of you know kind of like jokes and then sad part and then recovery yeah you know yeah. I think all of these stories or mine especially definitely changed my life it definitely makes the way I see things different the way I react to things different but getting the tools to like dealing with it and accepting it and being able to use it for productive means rather than, you know, becoming paralyzed. Yeah. In between it. So I think it'd probably be a good idea to kind of talk about that stuff. Yeah. Then how, what do you do with the podcast after it's done? You release it? You just wear. Um, you upload it to file. iTunes and oh, different things. I was going to say, how do, you, how do you get it on? How do people get it on iTunes? <laughs> That's my question for the day. What do we do after? After the podcast is over? Yeah. After all is said and done. Um, you upload it. Was theirs on iTunes? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. How do you help me? How to stop it? Yeah, because it's upside down. So, uh, I think I can just press stop.